So anyways, uh, I think I think it's really it's really neat how the Lord does things because tomorrow's Valentine's Day, you know, and obviously it's a totally worldly way of love. Um, but and it's earthly and it's not the kind of love we're going to talk about tonight. Um, but it's neat that we are talking about love tonight, tomorrow being Valentine's Day. So maybe I'll get the chance to be able to bag on Valentine's Day a little bit while we go through this. But so I'd like to welcome you guys back to the sixth week in the book of First John. And it's really been, oh yeah, and open your Bible. Just in the justifier, we have cultivated a real and honest view of sin in the life of the believer. And each week we have identified genuine Christianity. We've distinguished between the one who says and the one who does. And we've come to know in a careful survey of this book that John has laid out a series of 10 tests that give assurance of the salvation to the believer. And I have those 10 tests again up there on the screen. This time they're a lot bigger. I'm sorry about last week. They were very small. Uh, Drew is always motioning at me. 32, right? Or wait, what was that? That was eight. 30, 36, 36. Okay, I'll get it down. Three. That's what I need for my text. I'm not very, I'm not computer. I'm not smart with computer, guys. Um, anyway, so tonight here in First John chapter 2, verse 7 through 11 is where we'll be at today. We find the beautiful test of love laid before us. And this just so happens to be the fourth test um, out, of the ten pe- out of the ten tests that John will reveal to us. And uh, I think that the key verse of this book, which is a couple slides later, the key verse of this book helps us to identify why John wrote this letter and what the tests are for. We find that verse in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and it goes like this. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I'm not sure if I've shared that verse with you guys yet, but every, every, every book in the Bible has a key verse that you can draw to to try to draw out the context, the reasons why it was written, um, what the book was all about. So I challenge you guys as you go through your Bible studies to look for those key verses in Scripture. I'm thankful for the black and white language of, of John, and his words are so easy, like I said last week, that a child could read them, yet the most brilliant theologian could drown, spend his entire life canvassing um, the writings of the Apostle John. Tonight, we'll wade through these five verses step by step, and we'll attempt to uh, unpack everything that lays waiting for us in this uh, fourth test of the believer's assurance of salvation, which is the test of love. So join me in the reading of God's Word in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness or is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful. We're thankful for your word as it guides us. Your your word says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
Help us, Lord, to meditate on your word so that we may not sin. And, Father, we pray that your word tonight will cut us deep in our hearts as it cut Peter each time and he wept or he grieved. So, Father, I pray for your, <clears throat> your Holy Spirit to work through my life tonight as I preach and proclaim. And I pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to work in the lives of these members who are here um, and our visitors who are here, that, God, you might draw them to repentance, that, God, you might show them what true love is tonight, and that you might help them, Lord, to forgive those who have wronged them. And it's in Christ's name that we pray all these things. Amen. <coughs> so I kind of want to start off by drinking some water. No, I want to start off by uh, reading you this hymn. As you guys know, I don't sing the hymns, I, the hymns, I just read them. <clears throat> but it's called Love is the Theme, and it was by Albert C. Fisher. And it goes like this. Of the themes that men have known, one supremely stands alone. Through the ages it has shown, tis his wonderful, wonderful love. Love is the theme, love is supreme. Sweeter it grows, glory bestows. Bright as the sun ever it glows, love is the theme, eternal theme. Let the bells of heaven ring. Let the saints their tribute bring. Let the world true praises sings for his, or his wonderful, wonderful love. Since the Lord my soul unbound, I am telling all around. Pardon, peace, and joy are found in his wonderful, wonderful love. As of old when blind and lame to the blessed master came, sinners call ye on his name. Trust his wonderful, wonderful love. Love is the theme. Love is supreme. Sweeter it grows. Glory bestows. Bright as the sun ever it glows, love is the theme, eternal theme. And guys, this isn't no, just a kind of a spin on one popular song. This isn't any reckless kind of love. This isn't Cupid's arrow piercing you and, and just randomly striking somebody in the heart and turning them on to love. And they would chase that, that one that they had this attraction towards. This isn't a Valentine's Day kind of love. It's not a, a sweetheart little XOXOXO kind of love. This love, the love of God for us, is the theme. The love that pierces our hearts and causes us to embark on a lifelong journey of love for Him and all that He loves. And what does God love? Who does God love? He loves people, right? So if God loves people, we too ought to love others as well. Because as His hymn sings, love is supreme. It is the theme for all of our lives. At least it, it very well should be. This love will be the central focus of our message tonight, so I want you guys to follow along with me beginning in verse 7 as we examine our first point, a new old commandment. It's like saying the same kind of different, really. But it's the new old commandment. Verse 7, Be Brethren, I, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And I want to add this before we just kind of jump into deciphering the text. The opponents of John believed and claimed that John was adding to and distorting the gospel. And I want you to remember that the opponents believed that just the mere knowledge, just the mere head knowledge of the gospel was the, the end of the religious quest. They believed that the head knowledge was everything and obedience was just weights to the back of the believer. So John writes this to explain the commandment to love is not a new invention by John. Rather, it's an old commandment of God. And when we think of the word new or when we think of the word old, our minds sort of just immediately jump to some form of time, right? So, for instance, you might take the old and the New Testament. One came before the other, so one's old and one's new. Or another example, you've had a friend for many years and you also met a person two weeks ago that you call your friend. 
That friend that you had for many years is your old friend, and that friend that you had for two weeks is your new friend, correct? But it's only that way in regards of chronology or, or time. But the words that uh, the word used here by John for new is not referring to time as we mentioned. And I want to just kind of read this definition that MacArthur had put. It refers to something that is fresh in quality, kind, or form, something that replaces something else that has been worn out. So how can a commandment be both old and how can it be both new? Well, the commandment is old in the sense that it's something that they have had from the beginning and not necessarily the beginning of time, but however, the beginning of their Christian lives. So you might ask me, how do I know that? And I say that it's because the rest of John's writings in 1 John and even 2 John allude to this. For instance, and follow along with me as I read uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, let that, which is the gospel, abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If, you, if what you heard from the beginning, the gospel, abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 2 John, verse 6, This is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. The commandment is old in the sense that John's audience knew this command from, the day, from day one when they heard the gospel. And the command to love is also old in the sense that we find it in the Old Testament. It's not just in the New Testament, right? Because the same God, the same God of the New Testament, the God of the New Testament is the same God of the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. He doesn't just change. He's always been and he always will be the same God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And not just love for God, but we also love others as well. And we see that in Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Remember, as I told you last week, and the Ten Commandments are in a sense really kind of a summation of the love uh, for God and for others. And the first four deal with the absolute love and devotion of God, while the last six uh, deal with moral standards towards others, which when practiced demonstrates our love for them. What's up, brother? So the commandment is old in that way. However, the commandment is not only old, but it's also new in the way of freshness, as I mentioned earlier. See, Jesus came and got to the core principles of the Ten Commandments and the laws of God, which is why you had the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. He dealt with the heart of the inner man, the inside of the vessel. He opposed the religious facade of the Pharisees, the outside of the vessel. Okay, The Pharisees thought that they loved others because they did not murder, because they did not commit adultery. However, Jesus brought it to a new level and taught that murder begins in the heart and adultery begins with the eyes. He challenged them on a whole new level. The weightier matters of the law, which were justice and mercy and faith. And you can find that in Matthew 23, 23. The commandment is new and it's afresh because Jesus took love to a level that the world had never seen before. As Matt McKenzie said, he loved to death. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. It is a new commandment as he gives a new definition to love, commanding the church to love in the same way that he loved. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Think about the life of Jesus. Okay, He loved. Everything he did was out of love and obedience. 
He loved in compassions, or he loved in compassion at the multitudes that were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew ten thirty six. He loved the tax collector Matthew, and all others hated his betrayal. He loved the mute, the blind, the crippled, and the leprous all throughout the gospel. He loved while he loved while he wept just before the tomb of Lazarus when he cried out, "Lazarus, come forth." And he raised that dead man from the grave. And, Judas, or, and Jesus loved Judas as he washed the betrayer's feet even. Knowing what he was going to do, he loved him. And he loved Peter by the fire on the shore after Peter's threefold denial. And he loved those who placed him on the cross as he said this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He loved sinners and he came to die for them. So this brings me to my first point, the test. Well, I guess it's my second point. You didn't know that. The test. The deep and unfailing love of Christ is more than just an example. It's a command and it's not a suggestion. He's not saying this. Hey, guys, I really wish you would love each other. I really wish you would love me. He's not wringing his fingers like, man, I really hope that you guys love each other. No, it's a commandment. What do you do, Rick, when you tell your son to do something? Are you commanding him to do something? Sherry, when you tell your daughter to do something, are you commanding her to do something? You don't say, hey, I'm asking you to please put up the dishes. Or, hey, I'm asking you to please clean your room. Hey, I'm asking you not to do that. It's a command. You're going to do it because of why. I'm your father. I'm your mother. It's not a suggestion. You better get some get right in a way, is what we would say in Missouri. So this new and fresh love is our central operating system as born-again believers. It's something that we didn't have before, but... When, we, when, we, when we're saved and we become a born-again believer, we have this, this central operating system of love that motivates us and directs us to do everything in life. And as the Holy Spirit powers us, being taught by God Himself, we now embark on this lifelong journey of love. It was God's intentional arrow that He shot at our hearts and changed it from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Amen. In verses 9 through 11, track with me here. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So once again, we come to this volley, back and, which is a back and forth between the one who says and the one who does. And we face the smooth talking, self-deceived, false convert. The one who says he is in the light of salvation of God, yet vehemently, relentlessly, and viciously hates his brother. And he is a liar. In fact, that person is in the darkness, is what, is what the Apostle John says. And I want you to know this, that it's the depths of the outermost darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, the, and it's clutching them in hell's shadow. It's impossible for a Christian to be in the light, yet live in the darkness of hatred for someone else. And Jesus gave us a very simple test in John 13, 35. I mean, it's, it's black and white. It's plain as day. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Verse 10 in 1 John. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the test is pretty simple. The the Christian who genuinely loves their brother or their sister, that person's a true Christian. The one who hates others, walks in darkness, they are blinded and they do not know where they're going because hatred has blinded their eyes. Sin has blinded their eyes. 
For the Christian, we love one another in the new and fresh way that Jesus loved us. So 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How beautiful and how perfect is the love of Christ in our lives. And how beautiful and how perfect is love. But it's not so easy to love one another, is it? I mean, I'm just saying it from up here. It's not very easy to love one another. It brings me to my next point, which is love is hard. And I kind of got a funny quote from Steve Lawson, and he says this, to live with each other above, that'll be glory. But to live with each other down below, that's another story. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to love others, amen? Amen. Loving others is hard. And that's why it's called love. It's not easy. It takes work. Love isn't easy. It's not something that you fall into. Like I said the other night, you can fall out of it if you could fall into it. And it's something that you have to put one foot in front of the other and you have to press towards. Love is action. Love isn't just in our hearts. And that's where we have it so mixed up today that love is this emotion and it's this ooey gooey thing. Sometimes love is messy. Sometimes love is sticking with someone when they're doing you wrong. Sometimes love is sticking with somebody when they're hard. Sometimes love is chasing somebody down time and time and time again when they continue to spit in your face. Love is hard. And James wrote this in chapter 3 of his epistle. Chapter 3, verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the uh, similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. I don't want to encourage us here, guys, because, man, this really seems like a heavy load, doesn't it? It seems like so much like, you're saying that I'm not a Christian because I don't love everybody. That's not what I'm saying. And I, I, I kind of want to ease it up by saying this, a little, a little bit of a word study, and it was a cool word study, but the word for hate here, um, it implies someone who habitually hates or whose life is marked by hatred for others. And I'll get to it. I'll cover it here in a minute. And I'm not saying that you're not a Christian if you have anger towards somebody. May the Lord convict you and you repent of your sin. But if you hang on to hatred and you walk in the darkness and you, like I said earlier, vehemently uh, seek after somebody to hate them, watch out. You better test your salvation. So it means, and what that word means uh, that implies someone who habitually hates or whose life is marked out by hatred for other, it, it means to pursue with hatred. And it's where we get the sense of chasing after someone, full of detest. And it also means to love less. So this is the same word used by Jesus in Luke 14, 26. And you might stop me and say, what? Jesus said, hey, yes, he did. He said, hey, listen to me. Luke 14, 26, when he says, if anyone does not hate or love less than the Lord, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus isn't teaching us to hate others here. That would be inconsistent with teachings. It'd be inconsistent with the sphere of the entire Bible. However, he's teaching to mark our lifestyle or or to mark by our lifestyle, our love for him more than anything else. Utmost commitment, utmost love. So in the same way, but different, the word hate used here by John is a habitual lifestyle of hatred. It's what fuels somebody. Does it get does that help make sense? 
So be careful. Don't hear me say that it's okay to hate sometimes because it's not. And like I said earlier, it's a sin to hate someone. It's a sin to hold bitterness towards them. It's a sin to be angry to the point of rage. It's a sin to hold envy and strife and selfishness in our hearts. The works of the flesh include hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, and murders. And Christian, these works ought to make us sick. If we're living every single day with these works of the flesh in our life, it ought to make us sick. And if it's not making you sick, you better check your pulse because you're probably not in Christ. Does it make you moved? Does it make you sick? Does it make you weep? That you have these jealousies or outbursts of wrath or hatred or dissensions in your life when you're walking in the flesh. They're not healthy, but unfortunately, it's kind of a good thing. We are in the flesh. And I'm not giving you an excuse to sin. However, I'm, uh, I'm giving you comfort of knowing just because sometimes we hold bitterness and contentions in our hearts towards others does not mean that we're not saved. But what is the action of a Christian when these earthly and demonic emotions raise up inside of us? What's the action? It's repentance, right? It should be weeping. It should be sorrow. It should be brokenness. Amen? When I'm short with my wife, when I, when I I'll, I'll repeat like Brother Eddie, when I have intense fellowship with my, with my wife and my voice raises, I don't feel good about the fact that I just yelled or that I, that I just got into it with my wife, that I said something that hurt her feelings. And the next moment that I get the chance to, what am I going to do? I'm going to come begging on my hands and knees and I'm going to tell you sorry, right? But I'm going to get right with the Lord too first because I know that I grieved him. And, and my first apology goes to him first. I don't feel good about those things. So we have to be fast to repent and confess and forgive. And our lives cannot be marked out by continual hatred, Christians. The darkness of hate blinds us and places a blindfold over our eyes. And it's exactly where Satan wants us to be. He wants us to wander in darkness. He wants us to be kept captive. He's a lion who seeks whom he may devour. He wants to blindfold us in in darkness and in hatred. May we be quick to repent. So the challenge that I have for you guys tonight as we get ready to close, and I kept it short because uh, Super Bowl, right? I'll preach right through it, I guess. Huh? Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 13 through 14. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Not, uh, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Let the true test of Christianity radiate through us tonight. Let it radiate through us tomorrow. Go grab somebody and love on them. Let the love of Christ flow through you onto somebody else. Let it spread like a good virus. Let it spread. Let it be contagious. Let everybody know that you're in love with Jesus and that you love them. What better way to love on somebody than to share the gospel with them? What better way to love on a fellow brother or sister in Christ than to help pick them up and equip them with the truth? What better way to love on people than to encourage them and build them up and to speak the truth in love? Not to deny their sin, but to tell them the truth. Let us love one another through service. We must let the whole world know that we are Christ's disciples through the love that we have for others. Walk in the Spirit so that we do not gratify the desires of our flesh. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? We need to be practicing love, joy, and peace 
long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Love suffers long and kind. Or long, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. And it bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And God is love. He never fails. So Jesus gave us a new and fresh commandment of love when he died on the cross for our sins, forgiving us of our lawless deeds. And I want to say this. If you've never received such love, I beg you tonight to come and be reconciled to God. If the Father's drawing you to his Son, do not harden your hearts tonight. Receive his free grace. It's the pardon of your sins in in his Son, Jesus Christ. So Christian, some of us hold envy. Some of us hold strife. Some of us hold hate in our hearts tonight against another brother against a, or a sister. <clears throat> Maybe it's against your spouse. Maybe it's against your child. Maybe it's against your blood brother, your blood sister, your mom or your dad. Some of us may be holding hatred and strife against somebody else here in this room tonight. And I urge you guys, I challenge you guys during this invitation, stand up and go be reconciled to that brother or sister. In front of everybody, go and tell them that you're sorry. Go and ask them for their forgiveness. Go and tell them that you forgive them if they've done you wrong. Let not hate and bitterness and rage and these sins uh, creep up in your heart and blindfold you into this darkness. Forgive and forgive quickly. Because remember, Jesus told us to forgive without end 70 times 70. You don't just rack it up and say, okay, 490 times, God, he's done. I'm writing him off. No, you keep forgiving and you keep forgiving and you keep forgiving. You forgive those who persecute you is what he's taught us, right? If they came and they drug us out of this place right now and they took us to jail for preaching the gospel, what would we do? We would forgive them for persecuting us. And we would say, much like Jesus did, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Much like William Tyndale said, uh, God, open the king of England's eyes. Forgive those who took from you. Forgive those who have wronged you. Forgive those who stole something from you that nobody could ever replace. I know that there's hurts here in this room tonight. Somebody's done you very badly. Something that you think you could never forgive them for. Go to God. Tell the Lord that you forgive that person. Jesus paid it all on the cross. And he forgave you. So you too ought to forgive others also. So may love motivate us tonight to live holy and blameless before the Lord.